Welcome to episode 10 of the Grace and Knowledge podcast. If you haven't already, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the past episodes and to always be sure to check out the resource links in the episode description. Uh, The point of this podcast is to condense and simplify theological concepts in order to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ as we're told in 2 Peter 3.18. The podcast episodes really are intentionally short and simple, but the resource links will help you to dig deeper and to study on each subject from reliable sources and, quite honestly, much more qualified teachers. Ultimately, the study of theology is the study of God. As such, everyone is a theologian, either a bad theologian with wrong or unbiblical views of God, or a good theologian with right and biblical views of God. We should all desire to study God thoroughly in order to know Him better and to serve Him more faithfully. Now, let's get into the fourth part of our five-part series on the five solas of the Protestant Reformation. That's right. Today's episode is on solus Christus, Christ alone. Now, another term uh, for this, it's often used as solo Christo, but generally speaking, solus Christus is the more widely accepted way to say it. So we're going to get into it. Solus Christus, Christ alone. Let's get into God's word and see what it has to say about this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Uh, this was written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. It says, First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So when we say that Christ is our mediator, what we're saying is that he is the only one who can bring about reconciliation between God and man. As we've talked about before, our sin separates us, a sinful people, from the holy, sinless, and perfect God. But Christ bridges that gap through his perfect obedience and his atoning death. And this is what makes Christianity unique. It's not many gods. It's one God. It's not many mediators or saints. It is one mediator. It's not what we can do, it's what the mediator has already done on our behalf. And that mediator, Jesus Christ, did actually do something in history to make our salvation possible. 
This is solus Christus, Christ alone. Now, when we talk about that concept of solus Christus, what we're saying is that salvation is because of Christ alone. So it's salvation according to Scripture, by grace, through faith, because of Christ. Our salvation, or as we talked about in the last episode, our justification is made possible because of Christ Jesus. So in what sense is this true? By what means did Christ become responsible for our justification? Well, we have to start with who Christ is. Because if we get Christ wrong, nothing else really matters. You can ask most major religious groups, whether it's Christians, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, whoever it may be, you can ask them who Jesus is, and you're often going to get a different answer. And that's problematic because Jesus can't just be whatever we want him to be. He can't just be whatever we say or feel that he is. And unfortunately, we kind of make him out to be that many times. Um, we want a Jesus that fits our beliefs and our preferences. So we tend to try to do that with him. But when we do that, when we make Jesus into something that the Bible says he is not, then we're creating a false Christ, a false Savior who absolutely cannot save us. Many religious people will say that they believe in and follow Christ, but it's a Christ that they've made up or that the religious leaders have made up. It's a figment of their imagination. It's not the true biblical Christ that can actually save sinners. And that's why theology matters, because we need to, we have to get Jesus Christ right. We have to know who he is according to the scriptures. Because when it comes to matters of theology, as we've discussed already in episode 7, our standard for truth is the word of God itself, the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Now, while the Bible is our standard, what I personally have found is that historic church creeds and confessions can also be helpful in our understanding of the scriptures and in the testing of our beliefs and our doctrines. Um, we can look at what God's word says about something. We can believe it to be true. And then we can look at these historic creeds and confessions from hundreds of years ago. And we can see that this truth is what Christians have affirmed for ages. This prevents us from coming up with um, new ideas about who God is and who Jesus is. And that's exactly what many modern religions have done, unfortunately. Now, a few historic uh, church creeds that you should know about are, number one, the Apostles' Creed, though not actually written by the Apostles, but likely written within a century or two after the Apostles died. Um, number two, the Nicene Creed, dated around 325 AD. And number three, the Athanasian Creed, dated sometime around the 4th century. Um, each of these creeds 
provide short summaries of the Christian faith, including biblical descriptions of the person and the work of Jesus. Now, I would definitely suggest studying and, and reading these creeds, but just want to give a warning. Um, these creeds often will make references to the Catholic Church, but it's important to understand that in that context, the word Catholic does not mean like the Roman Catholic Church or the, the Pope. What it's referring to is the universal Christian Church, the unified Catholic universal Church of Christ and those who belong to the Christian faith. So just keep that in mind. Um, don't let that cause any confusion. But here are some quotes from these creeds on who Jesus Christ is. The Apostles' Creed says, Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried, he descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. The Nicene Creed says this, The only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, through him all things were made. The Athanasian Creed says this, He is God from the essence of the Father begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity, less than the Father as regards humanity. So there's what some of those historic creeds say about who Jesus Christ is. Now, a few historic Christian confessions of faith that you should know about are, number one, the 1530 Augsburg Confession, which is the historic Lutheran Confession of Faith. Number two, the 1647 Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the historic um, Presbyterian Confession. The, uh, number three, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is the historic Reformed Baptist Confession. Now, let's look at what some of these uh, confessions say about Jesus Christ. The Augsburg Confession says this, The Son of God did assume the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so that there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably enjoined in one person, one Christ, true God, and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary truly suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried, that he might reconcile the Father unto us and be a sacrifice, not only for original guilt, but also for all the actual sins of men. The Westminster Confession of Faith says this, It pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior, whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge, he was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it. 
endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body and was crucified and died, was buried, and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he arose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered, with which also he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. The 1689 Baptist Confession says this about Jesus Christ. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholdeth and governeth all things he hath made, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature, with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her, and the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham and David, according to the Scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. So what these historic Christian creeds and confessions say about who Christ is, is uh, very uniform. They're all very similar. And that's because they're all based on the scriptures, which are our true authority of uh, faith and practice and our true source of truth. Yet these confessions serve as faithful and accurate summaries of biblical doctrine, which help us identify and avoid false doctrines, and in this context, help us avoid false versions of Christ who cannot save. So, through the Word of God, summarized by these great confessions, we can know who Christ is. Now, let's look at how this Christ actually saves us. To do this, we're going to break down two theological concepts called the passive obedience of Christ and the active obedience of Christ. In Christ's passive obedience, he suffered on the cross on our behalf. He was, in a sense, a passive receiver of our guilt and of the Father's wrath towards our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This work of Christ is often referred to as the atonement. He atoned for our sins. He atoned for our wrongs. He removed our wrongs. In doing so, he, in a sense, brought us back to a place of neutrality before God. We no longer had a record of disobeying the law because that had been covered by the blood of Christ. That law-breaking had been covered by the blood of Christ. However, while we no longer had a record of disobeying that law, we also had no record of obeying it either, and that presented us with a problem. 
while the passive obedience of Christ in the atonement was absolutely essential for and foundational to our justification, it did not complete or finish our justification. And that's where Christ's active obedience came in. So the active obedience of Christ refers to that process in which Christ actively obeyed on our behalf. In passive obedience, Christ died obediently to remove our unrighteousness. In active obedience, Christ lived sinlessly to give us his righteousness. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, that he came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. This concept of active obedience, it can really be understated very often or even forgotten in our our Christian teaching and and thinking. Um, But we really, really, really need to remember the active obedience of Christ. Yes, Christ's death, his burial, his resurrection, the passive obedience that he displayed in that are absolutely amazing. And those things should cause us to rejoice and to worship him and to serve him. But the same should be true about Christ's active obedience. Think about this. 30 plus years of perfect sinlessness. We can't go a day without sinning, yet Christ went 30 plus years without sinning. Not a single failure, not a single flaw. Christ Jesus was perfectly righteous. And in God's amazing grace, that righteousness is credited to us as if we ourselves obeyed perfectly. This is solus Christus. Salvation because of Christ and his work alone. The doctrines of justification by grace and through faith, which we've talked about, they rest on this foundation of Christ fulfilling the law on our behalf. Sola gratia and sola fide cannot stand apart from solus Christus. And this is the beauty of the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not what must I do to be saved. It's about what Christ has already done. Martin Luther put it well when he said this, I must listen to the gospel. It tells me not what I must do, but what Christ Jesus has done for me. Our salvation is solus Christus. It is because of Christ alone. Amen. Again, be sure to check out the links in the show description. And please join me next time as we dive into the last of the five solas. Thank you.